0: My name is Colleen Cashman. I'm a soberish recovery coach helping high achieving women get emotionally sober so that drinking less or not at all feels like a superpower. Join me each week for evidence-based holistic strategies to regulate your brain chemistry and nervous system, and also develop a growth mindset so you can feel proud, confident, and resilient with or without a drink in your hand, because it's not about the alcohol. This episode is specifically for people who have been heavy drinkers for multiple years. Maybe you have given it up completely and are identifying as sober. Maybe you've just reduced your drinking by 90, 95%. Either way, it's a deep dive into the very real phenomenon that over 75% of us who were heavy drinkers experience once we stop. We're all familiar with the acute withdrawal phase that comes when you're breaking an addiction, you know, the detox Acute withdrawal though, only lasts about two weeks. For most of us, symptoms are mild to moderately unpleasant like anxiety, insomnia, heart palpitations, brain fog, sweating, shaking. Some people even get tremors and for a small percentage of people, it can actually be life threatening. But most of us don't realize that we're not all better after two weeks. Of course, we feel a lot better But some withdrawal symptoms can actually linger for up to two years. And you need to know that you're not crazy. This is real. It is temporary, but recovery is called recovery for a reason. You are in a legitimate dopamine deficit. Your baseline levels of dopamine are so low. Your cortisol levels are sky high. Your nervous system is stuck in survival mode. Your subconscious has been programmed to solve problems in all different contexts with alcohol, which means a lot of your healthy coping skills have atrophied. You're out of the habit of taking good care of yourself. You've come to believe a lot of things that are not true, and it takes time to wake up to the assumptions you've been making and the stories you've been telling yourself because you've been trying to make sense of why you feel the way you feel. And you've become so disconnected from your experience in your body and your brain just went off to crazy town and made up all these stories to explain your low dopamine and high cortisol and dysregulated nervous system. You've been blaming or attributing your internal experience to external factors, the job, the husband, the kids, The bills, the drama. And so it's going to take time for you to reorient yourself, to make sense of what's really going on. And that requires new information. So you can look at yourself with compassion and realize, oh, What I've been going through doesn't make me a bad person. It just means, you know, I was operating on bad information. And it takes time to not only correct your brain chemistry and your nervous system, but also the beliefs in your head about who you are and why you think you drink and why you think you still want to drink and why you think it's hard. Like all of that stuff has to be dealt with. And so this episode is a deep dive into that information, and it's going to be a little cerebral. It's like taking a class. And so you can take notes if you want and listen to it multiple times. Also, you can get into the show notes and print out the study guide where you will find not only this information laid out, but also the tools and strategies that you're going to need to accelerate your recovery. Make it go faster, because when you have good information, you can do better. And I can tell you that it is possible to drastically reduce the time that you spend suffering with post-acute withdrawal syndrome. You know, if you are focused on the wrong things, which would be alcohol and what's wrong with you and what caused you to drink and why you still want to drink, if you get all tied up in the alcohol story, it's going to be a long haul. I personally felt like I was still suffering from depression and anxiety and lack of energy and motivation almost two years after I totally 100% quit drinking. And it was only then that I began to realize, oh, this isn't about the alcohol. And in fact, the more time I spend thinking and identifying as somebody who has a drinking problem or had a drinking problem, the longer I'm going to stay stuck. Had I had access to all of the information I'm about to give you, I would not have suffered as long as I did. I now see my clients bouncing back physically with by paying attention to their dopamine and nervous system and cortisol and building out their coping skills, building out their virtual reality where they begin to see themselves as someone who enjoys taking care of themselves, enjoys not pouring alcohol down their throat. And they're doing the small things to boost their intrinsic dopamine response and rewire their narratives and create a new identity. And when you do and apply what I'm going to teach you in this episode, it's a matter of weeks or a few months as opposed to months or years. You don't have to wait for a new normal. You can actively create one. And that's why I say the biggest mistake that I made that you can make is to identify yourself as an alcoholic and believe yourself to be a person who cannot learn and change and grow and evolve. What you're going to learn in this episode is that you absolutely can heal your brain chemistry and your nervous system, and you absolutely can decide what you want to think. And it's very important to take the time when you've been a heavy drinker for years and not questioning your own bullshit. It's very important to take the time to unravel some of this stuff, because if you truly believe you can think whatever you want, well, then it's time to stop believing everything you think that's gotten you to this point where it's not going well. Like this isn't about changing the way you drink. It's about changing the way you think, because the way you think is what informs how you drink. So that's why you have to go upstream into the mindset, not only healing your physical body, but also choosing what you want to believe so that you can move forward as the person you want to be. And again, that's going to require you to set an intention. Who do you want to be? How do you want to think and feel? And then getting over the belief that you can't change. You know, applying a growth mindset to your own mindset. That's the biggest thing of all. Realizing you absolutely can choose what you think and what you believe and how you move forward. And you are not stuck with this habit you currently have that you call yourself. You're absolutely capable of changing that with the right tools and strategies and support. And I do want to let you know that the more time you take in this period, you know, you finally quit the drinking and now you're here and you don't really know which way is up, right? And you're not sure how to make sense of it. This is a very sacred time. And so I encourage you to not call it hard or think of it as a punishment You know, like you quit drinking because you had a problem or you can't handle it. Like maybe you quit drinking because it's about damn time somebody paid attention to you. And instead of bitching about other people not meeting your needs, you're going to finally show up and take care of yourself. And I promise you this period of recovery, this post-acute withdrawal syndrome, whatever it is, the dopamine and the nervous system, all of that, it is temporary. And the more you lean into it as a healing process and embrace it as the transition that you need to go through to become who you need to be, it will up-level your whole life. Like you can look back on your heavy drinking days and have a sense of humor about it and also realize you couldn't get where you are if you didn't go through where you were. And so all of this can be a gift. It's part of your comeback story, if you will. And the healing process where you're learning how to think again, learning how to feel and process your emotions, learning how to be present and not constantly just running on autopilot, distracted and out of your head. That is, again, a sacred time. This isn't about your relationship with alcohol. It's about your relationship with yourself. And that's also why a period of sobriety isn't the answer. It's not going to cure everything. So many people quit drinking for three months or six months or even a year and they get their trophy, but they didn't do the work to change who they are at the identity level. And then you pour alcohol on those old beliefs and pretty soon you just kind of end up right back where you were. Maybe it's a slippery slope. Maybe it's immediate. It doesn't matter. But this isn't about the alcohol. And giving up alcohol or significantly reducing your consumption is simply the tool. Like sobriety is a form of self-care, kind of like sleep. Like instead of thinking about, okay, I'm not going to drink for three months or six months, just be like, okay, I'm going to prioritize my sleep. Like how much better would your life be if you got eight hours of sleep every night? Sobriety is the same thing. And if you've been a heavy drinker for a long period of time, choosing a period of sobriety for a temporary period of time so that your brain chemistry and nervous system and mindset and all of that can recalibrate is one of the kindest things you can do for yourself. It's not going to be this way forever. You do heal, but only if you're willing to give yourself the space and the time and the support and the energy and the focus to heal. Like it's you time, it's your turn. Me time, where you stay up late drinking because you just want some time for yourself. Yeah, that's not a thing. This is the me time. This is the uncomfortable time. You've got to start showing up for yourself every single day. Like your well-being is the most important thing in the world to you. And so before we get started, I do want to mention that the audio from this might be a little bumpy, I recorded this about a year ago as a class and instead of re-recording the whole thing, it was good. I'm just transferring it from video. So adjust your speakers as needed. Again, get in the show notes so that you have the, the downloadable workbook that goes with this episode, but take your time with it this video, original video, is one of my highest performing videos on YouTube because it is such an in-depth resource. You just don't find a lot of resources out there that deal specifically with the topic of post-acute withdrawal syndrome. So take your time with it and uh, reach out if you have any questions. So let's talk about the damage just specifically um of what pause or excuse me what alcohol use disorder does what how does it damage us like i just explained it creates um elevated stress response in our bodies and this is because alcohol damages the central nervous system um and what that does is that lowers our stress tolerance so we blow our emotional circuit breakers a lot sooner i know for me I even when I was drinking, and, and then even when I stopped drinking, and even still today, I tend to go from zero to 100 really fast. You know, there's just too much overloading my circuits, and pff, I can't handle it. And um, I've learned so many coping tools, you know, that we'll go into a little bit more, but I'm now able to avoid that sometimes, but sometimes I'm not. I'm still having to deal with. The aftermath of the, the trauma that was alcohol use disorder. Um, so it's the same thing, like I said, of a of a, a person in combat who, you know, firecrackers set them off. Same thing with us. We've got triggers that that bring out the worst in us. We're not the person that we want to be. We want to be calm and grounded. And, you know, when stress comes our way, have wisdom and, you know, peace and just be that pillar of strength. But ultimately, we have to work through all of the triggers kind of one by one. um, And there's many layers of this onion. So part of recovery from alcohol use disorder and part of the symptoms of post-acute withdrawal syndrome is that we have to work on and heal triggers and learn how to deal with them the other thing that um, we don't give enough credit to at all with alcohol use disorder is how much damage it has done to our bodies we we have become malnourished so our gut health you know alcohol is is ethanol which is an antiseptic it kills germs so our gut health is way out of balance And when you think about gut health, what is gut Our what is that? Well, first of all, it's kind of everything, including our inflammation response. But, you know, more specifically, it's our brain and neurotransmitters, our dopamine. Ninety five percent of our serotonin is produced in our gut. So our neurotransmitters are off. The way we feel and the way we're perceiving things is not an accurate reflection of our reality and not what it will be when our gut health heals. So part of pause in addition to central nervous system is that our gut health is whacked out. Um, That also affects our metabolism. So our ability to get the nutrients from the food and apply them to our brain and apply them to different parts in our body, um, our immune system. Also, our hormones, especially those of us that are women in midlife dealing with perimenopause and menopause, are you know cortisol and our stress hormones are are all out of whack, which affects the way our thyroid functions, which affects the way our adrenals function, and all of those things come together to impact our ability to cope with stress. The other thing that's often off, especially early um, in sobriety, is our blood sugar. I had no idea because I do eat such a healthy diet, uh, sans the vodka now, but you know I used to just believe that eating a plant-based diet and taking all my supplements, that I had no issues with say sugar. But a lot of us come in because of the way alcohol impacts you know, our glycemic response and our insulin response, those hormones are out of whack and that takes time to heal and adjust. And even if you take all of the science off the table, you understand that when your blood sugar is too high, you know, you're jacked up and a little crazy and agitated. And when it's too low, you feel less lethargic and maybe mild depression. So those cycles have been impacted by alcohol use disorder, and those cycles are part of the healing process um, in long-term recovery. And then the other thing, the final thing, is that I don't want to say we have a lack of coping skills. We have underdeveloped coping skills because for years we have believed that anytime there's a really stressful situation, we need to have a drink to cope with that. And so we don't have the tools to take a time out. You know, you think of an animal in the wild who something incredible happens to you. Let's take a rabbit and a lion and the, the rabbit escapes the lion. Well, a natural coping mechanism is at some point when the rabbit's safe, it shakes um, and it releases all that energy out of it. And in our lives, we don't make room for that energetic release of the tension and the pressure that's built up. And so we don't know how to cope. And that is what post-acute withdrawal syndrome is. So while it takes time you know and that's probably something that's not all that changeable um, good habits can help in time take correct our blood our brain chemistry and our gut health so that's probably a set amount of time you can speed it up a little bit and accelerate it with good nutrition and healthy habits but ultimately that just takes time and then the the other component the emotional component Um, You know, that just requires practice and attention and awareness and rinse and repeat. And so what pause looks like is that, you know, once you move through the first 10 days, two weeks of the acute withdrawal, the pause, post-acute withdrawal can on average take up to two years and it affects 75% of drinkers. So it's really important to understand that what you're going through is not necessarily an indication that there's something wrong with your life or even that there's something wrong with you. Knowing that this is normal and that there are things that you can do, and we're going to go into those things, there are things that you can do to kind of alleviate the symptoms and lessen the symptoms. And that's what recovery is all about. So thinking that, you know, two weeks after you have quit drinking, your alcohol's out of your system, and you know, write in your journal a couple times and deal with some bullshit, and then you're good to go. Well, you are, but you can't remember, you can't forget that these things are going to continue to crop up. And the more you're aware of them, and the more you correctly attribute them to the consequences of drinking and accept responsibility for those then you can begin to correct them. You know, recovery itself is stressful. Think about any time you've had a surgery, think about um, anything that you have to recover from, finances, you know, you have a catastrophic hospital bill and your finances are out of whack and your savings are depleted and you don't have the money to do the things you normally would. Well, recovery is the same way you don't have the energy and the bandwidth to do life as you will be able to do it as you want to be able to do it so you have to understand and make room for the stress that recovery is bringing you have to learn how to process information in a new way so you know the the old way where you have the you know event and then you have your experience of it and the effect of that That cycle has to be undone and interrupted to where you respond differently and you know that you have the ability to change your responses when they aren't serving you. Really, um, that's really key. So what is pause? A broad overview, and then we'll do a deep dive, but a broad overview, pause just looks like that you have trouble thinking clearly, you may be emotionally overreactive or Due to so much overreaction, you've tripped your circuit breakers and you may feel more numb, but either hypersensitivity or numbness would be an example of post-acute withdrawal syndrome. Memory problems. You know, in the beginning, it was so cool because when i was drinking i literally could not remember three more than three numbers at a time you know if i was transcribing somebody's phone number into the computer i had to look at the area code in the first three like i could not make that jump with the numbers and slowly over time i noticed oh i can remember a whole I can remember a whole number at a time. I can remember two credit card numbers at one time, including all of the bullshit that goes with them. So slowly those come back, but memory problems are normal. You know, losing your words, can't remember the phrase, you're talking in the middle of a sentence and it sounds funny, those, that, that is post-acute withdrawal syndrome. Also sleep disturbances. We'll get into that more deeply, but sleep disturbances, Physical coordination problems, fine motor skills, you know, you just don't have the dexterity or you feel awkward and clumsy, your body feels too big. Um, That is a symptom of post-acute withdrawal. And then the clear and obvious and most overreaching, which is difficulty managing stress. So in general, for the first two years of sobriety, for most of us, we're going to have times not all the time, but we're going to have periods of time when our brain doesn't seem to function properly. We have trouble with abstract reasoning. You know, our mind is kind of like a confused cowboy. It just jumps on its horse and goes all over with no direction. And, and we have trouble controlling our thoughts. Um, and it's even more frustrating now that we know we should be able to and we can't, you know, get the reins and, whoa, boy, calm that shit down but that is what it feels like. It just feels like we're going crazy. Um, we can't put our thoughts into useful order and we have trouble concentrating on any one thing at a time. Like I said, I tend to go from zero to 100 just like that. And what that, what that shows when I have that emotional overreactivity is that something's been triggered inside me. And when I've been triggered, the anger, the resentment, the frustration clouds my judgment so much that I can't have a rational and logical response until I deal with my emotions. You know, the more emotional we are, the less logical and rational we're able to be. So recognizing that, you know, we've tripped our circuits, there's been a trigger there, and we have to deal with that And honestly, it's not, we don't deal with that cognitively, just like the rabbit after the lion chases it, doesn't sit down and map out, you know, plan B for where it's going to live. It just shakes it off. So we have to allow the emotions to wash through us. Whereas before, when we were drinking, we were triggered, now we're upset, and we're going to pour alcohol on that and numb it. And all that energy of past experiences is now trapped and now has to come out. And what's awesome to remember is that there's a finite amount of that. And each time that you take the time to feel the feels, then it gets easier and less intense as you go. And it just becomes a habit. But in the beginning, you know, you have to crawl before you can run. And so it feels like our life has to slow down or less or or else we're on that out of control horse. So, um, Realizing for me um, that I have to deal with my own emotions first was the first thing with pause. And just to share with you how I came even across um, that this was a thing. So I quit drinking and um, surprised to, to feel that I was in recovery, surprised to realize that all things were not perfect on day two. And then as I moved into sobriety, I, I started dealing with depression and depression is not something I've really ever dealt with. I've always been extremely high strung. I've always had anxiety. So it was really weird and disconcerting to not have the energy to do things, to not have the desire to do things, to not know what I wanted to do. And um, that started probably well, I guess within a month of after quitting drinking, where I'd kind of established a new normal, I realized, you know, this isn't really the normal that I want to be experiencing. Um, you know, I, I felt like exercise was easier when I was drinking because I was so motivated to prove that, you know, I didn't have an alcohol problem and that I wasn't hungover on a Monday morning. Or and i was motivated to detox myself so that i could hurry up and get right back to happy hour that evening so as my motivations changed and i didn't have that external shame coming at me as reasons to do things i felt really down i felt isolated i felt lonely for me then what that what one of the solutions i did was i started going to online recovery meetings Um, I quit drinking early in quarantine, so about month five, I started plugging into these new meetings every day, and that helped. I felt more connected. I also hired myself a coach, Um, so I went about four or five months trying to do this by myself, just reading books and listening to podcasts, and that was great. Kept me sober, kept me going, but then at some point, I needed more. I needed an accountability. I needed to get outside of my head about it and, you know, just realize that emotional problems are real problems. I've always been a person that kind of just shoves my emotion down and makes sure my life is full of chaos so that I have things to deal with and problems to solve and goals to achieve out here. So I had really never had myself as my primary goal. You know, after having four children and then going through a divorce and adding three stepchildren to that, I hadn't had five minutes to myself in years. So it felt low to me to suddenly realize that I needed to take this time to do some self-reflection and to do some work on myself and that there were things that I could do to move beyond what I was feeling. Um, Lucky for me, I never had the desire to, to go back to drinking. I just needed help finding a new normal that felt Fulfilling and meaningful. So, the bottom line is that pause is real. You're not crazy. It's physical and it's emotional and it's mental. It's all of it. And it's stressful. And so, when we're under stress, this causes more stress. And if you don't realize that post acute withdrawal symptoms are real and they're not you, and they're temporary and there are things you can do then that just exacerbates your stress and it can turn into a downward spiral and one of the exercises with this module is a test that was developed by terence Gorski um, back in the 80s i think and it's characterized as a relapse the, the chances of relapse But but really the whole purpose of me doing this video and of you educating yourself is that pause is a huge reason why people relapse, why people say, screw it, I'd rather just be drinking. Life has not gotten better, my rainbows and unicorns have not arrived with the scheduled delivery, and I'm just gonna go back to drinking. So that is the motivation for continuing in this education with yourself and ongoing tools and tactics to manage the symptoms. Because if you don't, there's a high chance that you're going to end up going back. And if you look at everything you've gone through up until this moment, is it worth it? Would you ever really want to go back? And I know that the answer is no, but pause doesn't, you know, two years is a long time. And so it might, if you don't realize that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, it can be tempting to just go back into the tunnel. So again, um, pause happens to, in, in some extent, to 75% of people withdrawing from long-term alcohol use disorder. Um, it makes you feel crazy because you should feel better than you do. Um, it starts immediately after the acute withdrawal. So as little as two weeks after you quit drinking, you can begin to experience some of these symptoms. It can last anywhere from one or two months to up to a couple of years. And here's the good news. It's cyclical. And I definitely noticed this with myself. And when nobody really understands if it's cyclical, one thing that I would have attributed it to might've been a hormone cycle. But men experience this just as much as females. So men have hormones too. It could be hormone related. Um, but taking everything to, into account, it can, it's also commonly hypothesized that it has something to do with the moon cycles. So, you know, just as with women, you know, I don't generally believe a lot of that hokey pokey stuff, but I do know that, you know, our menstrual cycles, can, uh, you know, those are considered moon cycles. And I know that when there's a full moon, my husband's not to be seen if he's on call because the ERs are full of all the crazy people. Um, so it's cyclical. And over time, here's here's the nugget that I want you to take away. <laughs> the lows get higher, the duration, the duration gets shorter, and the intensity is more mild. So in the beginning, if you have a whole month, you might say three out of four weeks, you felt like shit. Two months from now, it might be, you know, down to two and a half weeks from now. Six months from now, it might be only one week out of every month or a collection of days. You know, the other thing that can trigger pause is external circumstances. So when you look at recurring, recurring stressors in your life from holidays to, you know, things that are due at work or things that just happen that you know are coming, those recurring events that add stress also trigger pause because pause is a lack of ability to handle the stress whether it's physical emotional or mental anytime more stress is coming into your life you should be on the lookout for these symptoms and i want to go over do a real deep dive into what these symptoms are number one is foggy thinking brain fog lack of focus memory issues Um, short-term memory outages where, you know, you walk into the garage and you can't remember that you even have a garage or what you'd be doing there, or you find yourself hurrying up to get to the store only to realize you don't know why you're at the store. Um, You're trying to learn something. One thing I did in early sobriety and I gave up. And now I think that was the best thing I ever did at the time. I just gave up in frustration, but I decided to go back to learning the piano. I had this very difficult song that I wanted to that required a lot of left hand and right hand work and I couldn't really even remember to read music and what I discovered is month three after quitting drinking not a good time to learn a complicated skill like that um, but anything you know if you're at work or you're trying to learn something new you may find that very very challenging you might also notice that there are times when it comes really easy. And then two weeks later, you can't remember shit about that. So that's part of the cyclical nature of um, pause. The other thing uh, is emotional dysregulation. So you just kind of react in in ways that don't feel like you your best self would react. So you've got mood swings, you're hypersensitive to things that happen. And also remember that overreacting to things, eventually your nervous system just shuts down. I know that's not an actual physiological thing, but for our intensive purposes, we just kind of shut down. And then we're just feeling numb and we feel like we're not feeling. And we feel like, you know, that apathy has kind of returned or we're just disconnected from what's going on. You know, there's a death that's happened and we don't feel like we're reacting or responding or feeling appropriately that's part of the the emotional dysregulation that's normal and it will pass another thing is sleep and we'll get into that sleep could look like insomnia or restless sleep light sleep really disturbing vivid dreams um we may experience uh changes in our sleeping patterns Uh, sleeping for long periods of time, you know, where we might lay down for 20 minutes and wake up six hours later. Like, what is that about? Well, that is your body healing. It's normal. It's necessary. Um, It's also when we get sleepy at inconvenient times. I know for me, I'm just now you know, um, starting to have the endurance to make a full Saturday where I get in the car, drive three hours, help my daughter move into her dorm, take her out to lunch, go do all the things, talk to all the people, get back in the car, come home and have plans and be in hair and makeup for dinner at eight o'clock. That is not something I could have done in early sobriety. I can now though, um, because I have the coping skills to do that and I don't have deficiencies that I'm making up for anymore. The other thing with sleep that you probably don't want to hear is that it may be rooted. Disturbances may be rooted in the reality that for so long we were using drugs and alcohol and other stimulants to control our sleep. I was so guilty of this. Let me just put it all out there. I would get up in the morning, hungover and pop an Adderall, speed through my day, get some coffee in the afternoon, And then mid evening or early evening, pour myself a drink, take myself to bed, pop a hundred milligrams worth of Benadryl. So I go right to sleep, wake up and repeat. So I was using all of these substances to control my sleep. Um, And I was good at it. You know, I can remember flying to Europe and having a whole baggie of game plan, game on. You know, I needed two glasses of wine in the airport, one Ambien, my night mask, take off sleep. Wake up in Rome, hit the ground running, and not miss a beat. Of course, I missed a lot of beats, but I used to control when I wanted to sleep and when I wanted to feel energetic with external substances. So, moving away from that takes a lot of recalibration. And now I don't even rely on coffee. I only drink coffee on special occasions. It's not part of my daily routine. So, I don't want substances anymore to. I don't want to be controlled by substances. I used to think I was controlling them. In, in truth, I was in the passenger seat of that particular shit show override. Um, so when you're dealing with sleep disturbances, you may need to make room for the fact that you need more sleep than you want. And so if you're not getting enough sleep, that's why you feel tired. And really just surrendering into the into giving your body what it needs because you've neglected it for so long. Is a strong power move in self care and understanding. You know, one of the things I need a lot of sleep, I need eight hours. And sometimes, occasionally, if I've been running it raw, I'll sleep 10 or 11 hours and I feel like I'm wasting time. And then I remember, oh, no, 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 no. I now think about sleep as, you know, every extra hour I get is one line off my face or one set of brain cells that are more capable or one way I'm healing. You know, I try to think of extra sleep as, you know, truly healing and truly restorative because it is. The other thing that we have in pause is nervous system disturbances. Remember, alcohol depresses the central nervous system. So we've done a lot of damage to our nervous system by constantly depressing it. And what that looks like, again, is the coordination and the fine motor skills. Also, heart palpitations, a surreal sense of disconnect, which is actually can be indicative of panic attacks. I've only had a few panic attacks. Um, I like to have those when I'm scuba diving because uh, that just amps up everything. When you're underwater, and you can't breathe. But um, short of that, you know, I definitely noticed that sense where, you know, we've seen it depicted in movies a lot. So you'll probably understand. You just like nothing seems real. Um, And and that is in our central nervous system that's happening for real. It is real. And that can be triggered with stress um, when we quit drinking. Also with the central nervous system disturbance, increased sensitivity, sensitivity to pain. Our headaches hurt harder and our aches and pains are louder, and we just don't have the resilience or the capability of numbing or the ability to kind of focus on other things. So we have increased sensitivity to pain, and it makes me personally feel like a big baby. You know, oh, I've got a headache. Well, when I was drinking, you know, I just have another drink and keep going. So that's high sensitivity to pain, that threshold, it will improve over time, but only as we heal and you know work to eliminate stressors from our environment, then we can handle the stress of pain. So pain just kind of trips our circuits and suddenly that's all we can feel or see or focus on. Another thing um, as I experienced was a depression and lack of pleasure. And i'd get real tired just going to the grocery store i felt like i had to take a nap before i left and then when i got back cooking dinner that would have to be for another day i was just tired i had low energy low and lack of interest i felt lethargic um i felt like i didn't really have any initiative which then also triggered guilt and shame and guilt and shame are also symptoms um and also with the in terms of productivity it's very common for people suffering with pause to report that they feel like they're unproductive but the evidence shows they're getting as much done as anybody else but it's this perception and that goes back to the trauma and the triggers you know so when we're trying to accomplish things and we're doing stuff that may be triggering old experiences where we do have the perception that we're not doing enough maybe because we were maybe because we weren't and then that impacted our perceptions in the future of what it feels like to go at a normal pace so the perception um there there is a lack of initiative but then there's also the perception of a lack of initiative or a lack of productivity. And so if you're experiencing that, you know, asking and really look at looking at the evidence and differentiating is it real or is it not real is a really important, just awareness and, and tool. It's a tool to realize what you're taking it at face value. Okay, this is what I'm feeling or this is what I'm actually experiencing. Um, another thing with uh, recovery is anxiety, feeling agitated, edgy, um feeling like you can't get anything done like i said and then the more you feel those things the more you're tempted to multitask and try to do multiple things and try to add more onto your plate to fix that feeling instead of dealing with that feeling and then that just adds to the stress which compounds the symptoms of post-acute withdrawal another one would be obsessive compulsive behaviors repetitive thinking ruminating And here's one thing that I try to remember with myself. The more I think about a problem, the less I'm actually doing to solve it. So realizing that most problems, thinking doesn't help. Now, of course, there are times when you sit down with your pad of paper and your brainstorm and and you organize your thoughts. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ruminating where you just keep going over and over and trying to find new angles of why that person's an asshole and why this is never going to work and why you're screwed and you should have never started this. You know, all of that stuff, that doesn't help. So the more you can identify thinking sessions that are not productive and redirect to something positive, it's really important because negative thinking never produces positive results. So the more negative you feel about anything, the less you should be thinking about it. Um, Feeling discombobulated, as I said, feeling on edge. Um, You may experience a lot of conflict in your relationships. I experienced this a lot in my marriage. And what I found was space and silence was the key to peace. And luckily, my husband was very accommodating to that. You know, if something was, tr- was triggering an emotion for me, I just said, I can't talk about this. I don't even know when I'm going to be able to talk about this. Can we just focus on, you know, whatever it is we had planned to do that day? Um, and that was just as much for me as it was for him. I had to redirect out of those negative thought patterns. But it's very normal to find yourself in conflict. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's with your kids. You're just high bitch factor for the day. You know, what is that? The terror alerts on orange. Um, but no, realizing that that's normal and that it's not a reflection of what's going on around you. It's a reflection of what's going on within you. It's really important. Um, another thing, and we'll get into this more in the actions you can take to alleviate this, but intense cravings for sugar, alcohol, caffeine. Just substances that that will give you that dopamine high, because if you remember from earlier modules, when you quit drinking, that artificial dopamine hit that your brain's so used to when you quit drinking, you move into a dopamine deficit and your brain has to learn how to produce that on its own. So continuing to give it other things besides alcohol, like sugar or shopping or work, you know, workaholism or gambling or sex and new relationships and all that stuff, the less you give your brain artificial stimulation, the quicker it will recalibrate on its own. And suddenly, you know, you're getting jacked up because you smell lavender in the air and you're like, oh, my God, does anybody else smell that? Um, And it's really, really cool. But. Intense cravings is part of it. And then, you know, learning how to cope with those cravings is important. And then, you know, just feeling easily overwhelmed, feeling that the slightest upset will will push you over. And I talked to so many um, of my clients who in the early days, they feel like, okay, I'm doing this, you know, I've been sober for three weeks and four weeks, but I'm afraid that, you know, something goes wrong at work or, some some stress comes up, an unexpected bill, and I'm not going to be able to handle it. That fear is very normal. And when I talk to my people, I encourage them to direct their attention to the fear and not the actual external circumstance. I mean, sometimes there's stuff you can do to avoid things at the past. But, you know, if there's going to be a tornado. There's going to be a tornado and you have to deal with how you're dealing with that. So. All of this is to say that, you know, the most important thing you can do, uh, besides the specifics I'm about to go into, is that you stay conscious and you stay aware and you work your program, whatever that is. So, you know, even though Recovery University is for 12 weeks, before you leave, you'll be making a plan for what recovery looks like for you in the first year, because, the biggest danger zone is not the days that you feel like you can't handle anything. It's the days you can feel like you can handle anything. And we all know those people who are on mental health medications and they finally get them stabilized and they're finally functioning, eating with the right hand, putting the, you know, doing all the things, wiping their butt, you know, brushing their teeth or doing the things. And then all of a sudden they say, I'm going to go off my meds. Holy shit, please don't. And it's the same thing with working a recovery program. Alcohol use disorder is a mental health disorder. And it is very true that when you remove the use, you remove the disorder. However, it is also very true that it takes a couple of years to truly recover your brain, your body, your mind, your spirit, all of it. So the most important thing you can do is to do whatever it is that's working for you and don't mistake a good day as the end of all the bad days because they will be back. So a couple of things um, that you can do. How do you manage your symptoms? Number one is verbalization. So getting the thoughts out of your head. You can't understand that something is irrational. Truly, until you hear it. You know, we listen to what other people say and we're like, "Eh, that smells like bullshit. You know, that doesn't make any sense. But when these thoughts, especially repetitive thoughts that we're used to, we're never challenging them. So it's very important to verbalize them. Yes, verbalizing them to yourself is important. But just as and more so importantly is having someone to talk to. And this doesn't have to mean professional staff on call 24 hours a day. Having a friend, opening up to your partner, whoever that person is for you, verbalizing on your bad days. You know, I'm feeling overwhelmed and I feel like this is a symptom of pause. Educating yourself and your partner on what those symptoms are, what they look like for you, and what you need to do in times where you're struggling is is, is is all there is. You just keep rinsing and repeating that. So verbalizing your struggles so that someone sees you, so that you feel validated. You know, somebody that you can say, you know, I'm really upset about this. Does this make sense to you? Somebody that you can ask, is this real? Am I, am I making this up? And somebody that will tell you the truth is just critical to your healing and growth. Under, having somebody that is empathetic towards what you're going through, you know, the difference between empathy and sympathy. Empathy is, is where a person is able to look at your experience and, and understand your experience. Sympathy is basically just looking at it through their own lens of how they would feel and, you know, injecting as, in whatever feelings of sorrow or whatever for you but having somebody that's truly a good listener and that isn't judgmental and that will say that does sound crazy. Yeah, that must be so hard. How can I help? You know, having that person and being able to verbalize where you're at, where you wish you were, why you're frustrated, really important. And when you do ask for advice, from somebody, you know, I know I often put off advice because I feel like I know what they're going to say anyway, and I've, I've got this, but that's where it's all inside your head. You know, even if they do say exactly what you thought they were going to say, it's going to feel differently because you're expressing yourself. You're not bottling it up. You're feeling the feelings and you're working through the, through the issues. Very important to not only speak out loud, but to communicate with those around you what's going on. You know, I did this um, when I was, I had my first child at 23 and I, because I'd been on birth control pills, I I actually had suffered from depression. I said it earlier in this video, I have never suffered from it, but there was a period in my life that I was, and that was very directly tied to birth control pills. But, you know, coming off those so soon and moving into pregnancy, I I thought that maybe I might be vulnerable to postpartum depression. And so I read as many books as I could find, and I sat down with my husband, and I listed all the symptoms and where I felt like that might happen to me and what I felt we should do in the event that that would happen. That was such a good call on my 23-year-old self because as I moved into some of the symptoms, I had a plan in place. And I had a partner who didn't just look at me like I was a bitch. You know, I was able to say, I'm overreacting and I'm crying and I haven't had enough sleep. And I think this is some postpartum depression. And we were able to talk about it in a different way that wasn't personal to me or to him at the time. So good call for the 23 year old. I wasn't always drunk and stupid, but Um, The next thing you can do after verbalization, moving on, is problem solving and goal setting. Remember that the problem, the external problem, not the problem. The problem is your internal coping mechanisms. It's the way you're perceiving the problem. It's the way you're thinking about it. It's the way you're reacting to it. That's the problem. So how how do you cope with that? Well, in addition to reacting to whatever is going on, thinking forward and doing small things to increase your ability to enhance your coping skills is very important. So there's something um, I heard on Angela Pugh's podcast recently. She referred to this as micro decisions and how good it feels to do the little things, because so often when we were drinking, we were skipping the brushing of the teeth and the washing of the eye makeup off at night and you know, going ahead and preparing a meal. All those little micro decisions make us feel powerful. And you can't move into the world and do big and powerful things if you're not brushing your teeth. And if you're not doing the little things each day that nobody's watching, nobody else cares if you do. But when you do them, you feel empowered so looking for those micro decisions that maybe you know you're kind of you're feeling lazy and you're like really how much time does it take to literally in this example go brush my teeth or walk the dog that's something that boosters my confidence is knowing i'm the type of person that walks my dog so even on the days where i'm not barking at the dog to go. It's cold. It's rainy. I'm busy. I'm like, you know what? We're doing it for 10 minutes. We're going to do this together. And my dog's always happy to do that. But ultimately it makes me feel powerful and disciplined. And so, you know, problem solving and goal setting, it's not the big things that you want to put on your calendar right now. It's the little things. What little things can you do each day to booster your self esteem and booster your coping skills, Um, because the the less stressed you feel and the better you feel about yourself, the more you're able to handle all the crap that comes with you. Um, The other thing problem solving and goal setting brings up is to avoid the predictable conflicts. You know, you don't have to attend every fight you're invited to. Last night, I came home from the lake and my husband was about two hours behind me. He was tasking up there and I came home and it was dark and I got the dog and I went to my favorite place and I walked the dog in the woods in the dark. My husband came home and I wasn't here and where was I? And I told him and suddenly he wanted to launch into a lecture about why I shouldn't be doing that. And I just said, you know what? I feel like this is going to be a fight because I'm a 48 year old woman perfectly capable of deciding when and where I'm walking the dog. And I don't need your input. You know, I'll give you three sentences. You can state your piece and then we're dropping it because this isn't up for discussion. My autonomy is not something I'm going to get a committee vote on. I'm going to do that because it gives me joy and I know it's safe. And so, you know, I saw that fight and I, I, I headed it off at the pass. I'm just not playing. I'm sorry, you know? So avoiding conflicts that you see coming and protecting yourself, because I knew on a Sunday night at 10 o'clock that I was going to get all jacked up and and you can't tell me and fuck the patriarchy. I mean, that's how that fight would have ended, which is a very strong way to go out. But ultimately it would have compromised the rest of my evening. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to Sap the joy that I had just gotten going out with my dog. The next thing that um, you need to do, as an example of that, continues into setting boundaries and doing the self care r- routines. You know, when you feel resentful, when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel agitated, that call is coming from inside the house. It's not a product of what other people are doing. And I know that that's hard to see but nobody makes you feel resentful. You're not resenting them because they are coming into your boundary. You're resenting yourself because you're not enforcing the boundary. It's your job to enforce the boundary and that can be uncomfortable because they might not agree and that's discomforting. But ultimately it's your responsibility to set boundaries and to set the self care routines. You know, when you do feel agitated, halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, are you any of those things and so when you are starting to feel the stress pressure start to creep up do you need to eat do you have a resentment that might need some addressing with a boundary are you lonely do you need connection are you tired do you need a nap or do you need to go to bed for the day um just learning how to take care of yourself is really important and remembering that the slower you go the farther you get So when you feel yourself rushing around the chicken with the head cut off syndrome, stop, just stop. Where are you going partner? Stop and recollect yourself because again, negative energy, if that's what it's spinning into, is not gonna have positive results. Um, Backtracking, living and learning. So all of this stuff that I'm talking about in this video Every time you have you know a week of man, you know that wasn't great. look back at that week. What triggered it? What worked in that week to lift you out of it? What things did you do that didn't work that ultimately shot you in the foot and prolonged the symptoms of pause? Really important to live and learn. You know, it's like this body, this life didn't come with an operating manual and we're writing the operations manual as we go. We're writing a new one. The old one was real short, drink, you know, the end, cheers. Now we've got all sorts of situations and nuanced feelings and relationships that have to be dealt with. So live and learn, backtrack through an episode and how long did it last? You know, I never kept track of it literally, but I could see that would have helped. That would have helped, be honest. But I, I didn't really have the tools I have now. Um, but if I would have just marked out how many days I had and rated on a scale of one to 10, you know, this was a seven a seven out of 10 shit day. And this was only a three. And this was a nine. And then I could see on a calendar that, you know, those are the duration, again, is getting shorter. You know, there's longer distances between the, um, the actual symptoms and then, you know, the lows are getting higher. So I'm not feeling so bad as long as often. Really important to live and learn um, and then continue to develop new coping skills and to bring conscious intention into whatever it is that you're dealing with. And uh, then... The, the next thing really, really, really important is to fuel your brain and your body with adequate sustenance, sustenance. Are you eating three meals a day? Are you eating a healthy, protein-rich breakfast? And are you getting plenty of fats? You know, now is not the time to experiment with intermittent fasting. Now is not the time to go on crazy diets unless they feel good. I'm not saying, you know, I know people who have quit drinking and also, used that as a jumping point for a cleanse and it went fabulous. So don't think that I'm that I'm discouraging any of that. It's all about the symptoms and what you can handle. So if you've done that and it's not going well, then this may apply to you. If you've done that and it's gotten you farther faster, two thumbs up. Um, but also, like I said before about the external dopamine hits, avoid the sugar, avoid the uh, caffeine if you need to, avoid nicotine if you, if you can, um, because the more you're, you're feeding the brain external dopamine um, triggers, the, the less the, your body's going to kick in and do that for you on your own. Um, another thing that's super important is to move your body every day. Exercise is great. Movement, non-negotiable so you don't have to take up an exercise plan start lifting weights and sign up for a triathlon but getting off out of your seat getting off the couch and taking a quick walk going outside really really important so don't think of it as exercise think of it as movement and just move your body one of my favorite things to do when my mood is in the shitter i will put on music and dance or hula hoop i have a hula hoop it's weighted and it I just to to just move my whole entire body reconnects me with my body. It gets me out of my head and gets me more into the sensual tactile experiences instead of all of the drama that my particular brain likes to create um, and avoid the instant gratifications and the quick highs. You know, if you find yourself shopping and you know working and working and taking on more than you should to also have good boundaries and self-care, you know, just recognize that, just recognize that that's happening. Another thing, you know, in AA, they always say first years are off limit in terms of new relationships. And sometimes that's not avoidable, but you know, don't go look, now is not the t- time to update your Tinder profile. I'm just saying, you need to create a relationship with yourself and new relationships are distracting. Doesn't mean it can't be done and have a happy ending. It just means it takes away, it may delay your own recovery, if that makes sense. So if you're taking, you know, you only have so much bandwidth. So if seven out of 10 of your bandwidth moves from alcohol to a new relationship, you've only got three left to, you know, feel your own emotions. And honestly, wherever you go, there you are. And just because you quit drinking, um, if you get into a new relationship before you're ready to set those boundaries and to... Um, really understand what it means to take care of yourself you're not going to be able to show somebody else how to do it it's just it's just true so the bottom line the takeaway is work your program have a program whatever that looks like for you have regular contact with with your coach you know once a month even or your therapist or your counselor have a plan you know what are you doing every single day to to recover, micro decisions, sleep, fuel, movement, you know, and then what are you doing to stay submersed in the sobriety mindset? Are you listening to podcasts on a regular basis and watching the interviews and reading the quitlet and having conversations with other sober people? These are things you cannot leave behind. These are things that are essential to not only getting through the two years of what potentially. 75% of us deal with, with post-acute withdrawal syndrome, but also to reconstructing an entirely new life and not one that's just void of alcohol, but one that's filled with beauty and friendship and purpose and meaning. And that's, that's what it's all about. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to rate and review the show so that other people can find it. I really appreciate it and check out the show notes for any resources I've mentioned, including links to follow me on Instagram and join my private Facebook group where I connect with my tribe every day. I love it in there and we have so much fun. And finally, if you're ready to redefine sobriety so that you can feel excited about quitting drinking, follow the link to my 10 days to spontaneous sobriety course where I will help you eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, cancel your desire to drink. Because looking and feeling your best is addictive too. I'll see you soon.